السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه يجمعين أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners We continue with the tafsir the study and commentary of Surah Al-Munafiqun, the 63rd Surah of the Qur'an. Last week I gave a lengthy introduction to the Surah, so I won't repeat any of that here now. And we did start the tafsir of the actual surah with the beginning two verses so I'll continue from there A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem Bismillahir Rahmanir Raheem Itha jaakal munafiqoon qalu nashhadu innaka larasoolullah wallahu ya'lamu innaka larasooluh wallahu yashhadu innal munafiqoon lakathibun Allah says, when the hypocrites come to you, they say, we testify that indeed you are most certainly the messenger of Allah. And Allah knows that indeed you are most assuredly his messenger. And Allah testifies that indeed they are most assuredly liars. I explained last week how Allah matches their emphasis and their statement word for word, letter for letter, emphasis by emphasis. When the hypocrites came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, not just on this occasion, but on many other occasions, they would say a lot. And they would, provide, they would provide false testimony. As we proceed through this surah, what I would like to, or what I would remind all of us to do, is to listen to, observe, and take into account and consideration the behaviour of the hypocrites, them. And to draw lessons from what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says of them, almost in every word. And one of the first lessons we can take from this surah is shahada, false testimony. Shahada doesn't mean false testimony, it just means testimony, but in their case, it was false testimony. 
So Allah begins the, word, the surah with the words, When the hypocrites come to you, they say, Indeed, we testify. So they don't just say things calmly and simply, truthfully and honestly. They are very melodramatic about it. There's lots of drama and histrionics, flair and show. So they don't just say, you are the messenger of Allah and we believe in you. They don't just utter the shahada. They're always repeating themselves, always testifying, always emphasizing. As Shakespeare says, the lady doth protest too much methinks. Protesting too much, overemphasizing, overcompensating. So this is how they were with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is the character and the demeanor and the behavior of a munafiq. Always trying to reassure and always trying to cover themselves, conceal themselves, conceal the truth, to lay it on thick and to add as many layers and veneers as possible in the hope that the truth is never revealed. So the hypocrites would come and say, we testify, we swear that indeed you are the messenger of Allah. So one of the first lessons we can derive from this surah is about shahada. Shahada means testimony, to testify. And this testimony could be about what's in one's heart. So, testimony is about revealing or conveying information to someone about something or someone that they don't really know very well. So, for instance, the opposite person doesn't know what's in your heart or in your mind. They can't read your heart or mind. So you are now acting as a witness. So there's a huge responsibility on you. Similarly, in a given situation, if others were absent and they weren't a witness, they weren't present on a particular occasion, they have no first-hand knowledge of that incident, of that situation. So they rely on the testimony of others. So those witnesses are brought. There's a huge responsibility on that witness and on their testimony. In a court of law, a witness has a great standing. The whole case may rest on the testimony of a witness or witnesses. So in any culture, in any religion, in any society, in any legal system, in any ethical system, when a person becomes a witness, they have a huge responsibility and they occupy a very lofty position, albeit momentarily. 
This is why shahada in Islam is also a huge responsibility. And that shahada, that testimony, could be about other people, a situation, an incident, where a person is providing and supplying knowledge to those who don't have first-hand knowledge. Or this testimony could be about oneself. The other person doesn't know what's in your heart and mind. So you are now acting as a witness over yourself. And you are telling them what's in your heart and what's in your mind. So you're not just speaking. You are now actually providing testimony. You are a witness. And false testimony is a major sin in Islam. A major sin. And that false testimony covers everything. So if you are providing testimony about others or an incident or a situation, it includes that. It also includes your testimony about yourself. So if you say to someone, I am your friend, and I mean well for you, you aren't just making a statement. You aren't just speaking words. You are acting as a witness over yourself. And this person is entirely reliant on you. Just like in any court case, the jury, the public gallery, the judge, the prosecution, the defense. In fact, the whole world is reliant on you. They trust you. Similarly, when a person, if you say to someone, I am your friend and I mean well for you, you are a witness over yourself before that person. You aren't just speaking words, you aren't just making a casual statement, you are acting as a witness and you are providing a testimony. This person is entirely reliant on you because they trust you to tell them the truth about the state of your heart and mind. This is why Rasulullah says in the hadith, the meaning of which is, there is no greater treachery and betrayal than you say something to your brother whilst he trusts you and believes in you, but you are lying to him. Because that person is entirely reliant on you. This is testimony. Another example of testimony is between a husband and wife. There has to be trust. And not just trust about fidelity and loyalty and honesty. Trust about feelings. Trust about love. So if a husband says to the wife that I love you, he's not just making a statement. In Islam, he is providing testimony of the true state and condition of his heart. And she is entirely reliant on him. She has no other way of knowing. So he is acting as a witness and he is providing testimony. So he has to be honest and truthful because it isn't just a statement. It's testimony. Similarly, these people were providing a testimony to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They were saying, we testify. 
that you are indeed the messenger of Allah. And that means that we believe in you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah testifies that they are liars. So one of the first lessons we derive from these words is the obligation of providing honest, truthful, fair testimony in any situation. And false testimony is not a minor sin. It's actually a major sin in Islam. Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others relate from Abu Bakr who says the Prophet وسلم, said to us and in some narrations thrice he said this should I not inform you of the greatest of the major sins? Should I not inform you of the greatest of the major sins? Should I not inform you of the greatest of the major sins? They said, Bala ya Rasulullah, of course, O Messenger of Allah. So the Prophet said, ascribing a partner to Allah, shirk. Al ishraqu billah, number one. The greatest of the major sins. Number two, the disobedience of one's parents. And number three, and then Abu Bakr said the Prophet was seated, reclining. So when he said the first two, he said, should I not inform you of the greatest of the major sins? And in some narrations, thrice he said this. Then he said, ascribing partners unto Allah. And number two, the disobedience of parents. Disloyalty to one's parents. Uquq doesn't just mean disobedience. In Arabic, we have a phrase, Birrul Walidain. And its antonym is Uququl Walidain. Now normally, this is translated as the obedience of one's par- to one's parents and the antonym disobedience to one's parents. But the reality is the words bir and the words uquq cover much more. So it's not just obedience to one's parents. Birrul walidain means virtue to one's parents, honouring one's parents, being pious towards one's parents, loyal towards one's parents. So uquq doesn't just mean disobedience, it means dishonouring and being disloyal to one's parents. Anyway, when the Prophet said these two, he was still reclining. Abu Bakr said, then he suddenly sat up and exclaimed, Allah wa shahadatu zur, Allah wa shahadatu zur, Allah wa shahadatu zur. Thrice he said it first. He said, and lo, False testimony, i.e. this is a third of the major sins. Low false testimony, low false testimony. Then the Sahaba radiallahu anhum say, even though we only said shirk with Allah once and disloyalty to one's parents once, when it came to shahadat al-zur, Sahaba radiallahu anhum relate that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was seated, reclining. He suddenly sat up and began repeating shahadat al-zur. He kept on saying it until Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and the other Sahaba say, we wished 
that the Prophet ﷺ would stop saying it and he would fall silent. Not because they were tired of hearing it, but ishfaqan ala Rasulillah, meaning being compassionate and sympathetic and taking consideration on him that we don't wish to burden Rasulullah with having to emphasize and repeat this point because it's difficult for him. So out of compassion for the Messenger of Allah, we wish that he would fall silent. So he said this repeatedly. He, he not just thrice, he just kept on saying it until the Sahaba said, we wish he would fall silent. And which point did he keep on emphasizing? Allah wa shahadat al-zur. Allah wa shahadat al-zur. Know that the third is false testimony. And in some narrations of this hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam actually read a verse of the Qur'an immediately thereafter to emphasize the point. So what did he say first? Should I not inform you of the greatest of the major sins? And then he said three. Number one, shirk. Associating partners with Allah. Two, disloyalty to one's parents. And third, false testimony. Then he read the verse of the Qur'an. فَاجْتَنِبُوا الرِّدْسَ مِنَ الْأَوْثَانِ وَاجْتَنِبُوا قَوْلَ الزُّورِ حُنَفَاءَ لِلَّهِ غَيْرَ مُشْرِكِينَ بِهِ That Allah says in the Qur'an, فَاجْتَنِبُوا الرِّدْسَ مِنَ الْأَوْثَانِ Abstain from the impurity of idols. So Allah speaks of shirk. Abstain from the impurity of idols. And then immediately Allah says thereafter, وَاجْتَنِبُوا قَوْلَ الزُّورِ And abstain from false testimony. False words. Zur actually means falsehood. So the Prophet ﷺ recited this verse immediately after telling the Sahaba that these are the greatest of the major sins. So false testimony is not a minor sin. The verse continues, حُنَفَاءَ لِلَّهِ Be upright for the sake of Allah, غَيْرَ مُشْرِكِينَ بِهِ Without associating partners with him. And part of that being upright is not just to avoid shirk, but it's also to avoid false testimony. In fact, in a hadith, Rasulullah <coughs> says again, related by Imam Bukhari, Muslim and others, that my generation is the best of all generations, then those who follow them, then those who follow them. Then a people will come. Now he speaks of the generations that come later. That then a people will come and they will be such that unlike their predecessors, they will be a people whose testimony outdoes their oath and their oath outdoes their testimony. Meaning, they are so quick to testify. They are so quick to provide testimony. They are so quick to swear vows and to swear an oath and to take the name of Allah that you can't tell whether one is more excessive and swifter or the other. So before you know it, they're testifying. And before you know it, they're swearing. Before you know it, they're providing false testimony. Before you know it, they are swearing in the name of Allah. Before you know it, they are swearing an oath. Before you know it, they are testifying. 
These are the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That the first three generations are the best. My generation, then the two successive uh, generations. And then thereafter, thereafter will come a people whose shahada outdoes and surpasses their oath. And their oath outdoes and surpasses their testimony. So false testimony is a major sin in Islam. And part of that being an upright monotheist is not just to avoid idolatry in all its forms, but to also avoid false words and false testimony. So this is not the character of a Muslim. A Muslim, a mu'min, speaks less anyway. One. Two, a mu'min says what he means, means what he says. He doesn't have to compensate, overcompensate. He doesn't have to emphasize repeatedly. He doesn't have to display a lot of drama and histrionics when relating something. Because his character, his demeanor is such that he or she is honest and known to be honest. This is not the character of a mu'min who's always swearing in the name of Allah, always taking oaths, always emphasizing the point, always protesting too much. So this is the first lesson, false testimony. The second lesson, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says at the end of the very first verse, Wallahu yashadu innahum lakadhibun, Allah testifies that they are lies. Lying is not the behavior of a believer. This is the characteristic and the trait of a munafiq, of a hypocrite, of a mole, of a deceitful, treacherous person. A mu'min doesn't lie. And lying is such a dangerous sin, Allahu Akbar. The number of ahadith related by Rasool, from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about the sin of lying. There are many ahadith, one, and some of them are very severe in their content. believer doesn't lie. And when a person starts lying, one lie leads to another. This behaviour is cumulative. It adds each lie, adds momentum to the next one. And this is why Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others relate from Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu. That the Prophet said, Alaykum bis sidq. For in the sidq yahdi ilal bir, where in the bir yahdi ilal jannah, or my zaru rajul yastuk, where it harris sidq, hatta yuktab in the law his siddiqa, where yakum will kadib, for in the kadib yahdi ilal fujur. وَإِنَّ الْفُجُورَ يَهْدِي إِلَى النَّارِ 
وما يزال الرجل يكذب ويتحرى الكذب حتى يكتب عند الله كذابا حديث بخاري المسلم this is a wording of Imam Muslim in his sahih Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said alaykum bisidq adhere to the truth for indeed truthfulness guides to virtue and virtue guides to jannah and a man speaks the truth وما يزال الرجل يصدق ويتحرى الصدق and a man speaks the truth and searches for the truth until he is recorded as an extremely truthful veracious person with Allah and the meaning of a man speaks the truth and searches for the truth the word tahri Tahari doesn't just mean to search, a casual search. It means to carry out a diligent search with a hope, with a specific goal in mind. So in this context, what does it mean that a man speaks the truth and searches for the truth? What it means is, he says, be truthful, adhere to the truth. And a man speaks the truth and continues to speak the truth and search for the truth, searches for the truth. When a person speaks the truth, that adds momentum. It creates honesty in him, truthfulness in him. Each individual, true testimony, true statement, true word, adds strength, virtue to this person, and momentum to the subsequent truth. Until truthfulness, honesty, veracity, integrity are all integral to his nature. So much so that the person doesn't rest by just speaking truth himself. But truthfulness and honesty are so integral to his nature that he begins to look out for truth, search for truth, be attracted to truth wherever he may find it. So he actually goes out in search of opportunities to speak the truth, to share the truth, to stand up for the truth. Because it's part of his nature. And like attracts like. In Arabic, الجنس يميل إلى الجنس. Genus is inclined to genus. Not genius, genus. Meaning category. So each category of people are inclined to their own category of people. So the truthfulness, truthful ones are immediately drawn to the truthful ones. And then the Prophet ﷺ continues in the hadith. وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَالْكَذِبِ Meaning, beware of lying. For lying guides to sin. And sin leads to Jahannam, to the fire. And a man speaks a lie and searches for lies. Until he is recorded as a kathab with Allah. Just as a truthful person isn't just considered a sadiq with Allah, meaning a truthful one, he is considered a siddiq. And siddiq is a superlative form of sadiq, meaning an extremely honest, a voracious individual. So the people don't call him very honest. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him the title of Siddiq. And conversely, when a man lies, what happens? He continues to lie. You lie once, you continue to lie. Each lie adds strength to the subsequent lie. Each lie creates a desire in the person to lie again. Each lie adds momentum until lying, dishonesty, become such an integral part of that person's character and nature that they aren't satisfied. They don't just rest by lying for themselves. No, they actually go out to seek opportunities and to search for moments of lying, of dishonesty, so that they can share with other people's lies. They can stand up for lying. They can lie themselves, get others to lie, encourage others to lie. They, just as the truthful ones relish the truth, Liars relish lies and dishonesty and treachery. It's part of their nature. They feed off it. And this person continues to lie and search for opportunities to lie. Until he is written and recorded as a kathab with Allah. So the angels give him the title of kathab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah gives him the title of kathab. Kathab means... Not just a liar, but an extreme liar. An impulsive, compulsive, incessant, unrestricted, habitual, pathological liar. There's no sense to his lying. He lies for the sake of lying. This is the punishment of lying in the dunya before the akhirah. That lying makes a person extremely dishonest, treacherous, untrustworthy, in themselves. So the ahadith about lying are very severe, subhanAllah, in one hadith related by Imam Bukhari, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, it was after Fajr, so he asked the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, he would ask them normally after Fajr, have any of you seen a dream? The Sahaba say he would ask us if any of us had seen a dream. If we had seen a dream, we'd relate it. Then he would interpret it. On occasions, he would say something about it. Sometimes he wouldn't. On other occasions, the Prophet wasallam would relate his own dream. So on this occasion, he related his own dream. He said, last night, two, men, two people came to me. And he names them, Jibreel and Mika'il. In his dream. They both came and they took me on a tour. So he went on a tour of the heavens. Of Jannah and Jahannam. And they showed him many things. Many different people. And I'll just shorten the hadith. I'll mention only, only the part that concerns us. So one of the people he saw was one of the scenes he saw was this. There was a man lying on the floor, flat on his back. And there was another man standing over him. So imagine the scene. This is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in his dream. And the dreams of the Anbiya alayhi wasallam are wahi and revelation. So he saw a man lying on the ground. He is with Jibreel and Mikail. And over the man lying on the ground is another man. And the other man has a kalub, 
A qalub is a multi-hooked instrument. I don't know what the word is in English, but you know how you have, sometimes you have a hook and it just has one hook at the bottom or two hooks. But you have one hook which, ha- which is multi-pronged, lots of hooks. That's what you call a qalub. So there was a man standing over the one lying down with a qalub in his hand. And what he would do is that he'd go to one side of the man, he'd take the hook, and he'd attach the hook to the man's cheeks and jaw. And then he'd pull. This is a graphic description in the hadith later by Imam Bukhari and others. So he'd take the hook, put it in the man's mouth, and pull until his cheek face and entire jaw would rip away from the rest of his face and what this person would do is that he'd pull all of that back to his nape at the back so half of his face and then he'd do the same with his nose and then his eyes so individually the mouth and jaw then the nose and then the eye so in three stages he'd pull half of the face to the back and clip it there Then he'd come round and stand on the other side and he'd do the same. The jaw rip away from the face and to the back of the neck and then the nose and then the eyes. So in three stages the whole face. When he'd finished with the second side, the face would come back together. So the man would go back to the other side and repeat the process. To the right, to the left, the face would come together. He'd go, and he would do this continuously. So the Prophet ﷺ said to Jibreel and Mikael Who is this and what's this? So Jibreel and Mikael said to him, carry on, carry on. Like on all the previous occasions, he asked them, what's this, what's this? What's the meaning of this? And they would tell him, carry on, carry on. From one scene to another. At the end, they told him, now we will tell you the meaning and the reality and the truth of all of those scenes that you witnessed. And they gave him the explanation of every one of them. And what was the reason, what was the explanation for this scene? The man lying on the ground and the one standing over him with the hooks. So the Prophet ﷺ was told by Jibreel and Mika'il that that man is a person who utters a lie. And then that lie is conveyed and related from him until it reaches the horizons of the earth. As a result, this is what shall be done to him. Allahu Akbar. It's a hadith of Bukhari. There are other hadith as well. And this is why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says lying is not the character of a mu'min. In fact, in a hadith related by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, from Abu Hurairah radiyallahu and since we are doing the tafsir of Surah Al-Munafiqoon, these two hadith, the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu and Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu are both very apt and relevant. So the first hadith related by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, and others from Abu Hurairah radiyallahu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ayatul munafiq thalath. Ida haddatha kadab. Wa ida wa'ada akhlaf. Wa ida atumina khan. The sign of a hypocrite is three things. Number one, the first one 
When he speaks, he lies. Number two, When he promises, he reneges on his promise. Number three, When he is trusted, he betrays. And the other hadith related by Imam Bukhari and Muslim again and others from Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu anhuma Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said listen to the words very carefully Arba'un man kunna fee kana munafiqan khalisa wa man kanat fihi khuslatun minhum kanat fihi khuslatun minan nifaq hatta yada'aha idha tumina khan wa idha haddatha kathab wa idha ahada ghadar wa idha khasama fajar there are four things which he found in a person. He is a pure hypocrite. Khalis. He is a khalis, pure hypocrite. And whoever has any one of these four traits in him, then he has in him a trait of hypocrisy until he abandons it. And what are those four traits? Number one, when he is trusted, he betrays. Number two, when he speaks, he lies. Now these two are already contained in the first hadith. And then the third one in this hadith, when he pledges, he proves to be treasonous. And number four, when he disagrees, when he disputes, he sins. Now, inshallah, we don't have time now, but I will hopefully devote a session entirely to these two hadith and explain them in detail. But suffice to say for now that in total, we have five different traits mentioned in the combination of these two hadith, both related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim. What are they? Number one, and the signs of a hypocrite and the traits of hypocrisy in a person are the following. One, when he speaks, he lies. Number two, when he is trusted, he betrays. Number three, when he promises, he breaks his promise. And number four, it's similar to number three, but it is slightly different. So this is why sometimes you can say both hadith only contain four traits, both together, or you can say both hadith contain five. So first one is when he lies, he, when he speaks, he lies. Number two, when he is trusted, he betrays. Number three, when he makes a promise, he breaks his promise. And number four, when he pledges, that's why I didn't say promise, when he pledges, he proves to be treasonous. I.e. when he makes a major pledge, not just a casual promise, a major pledge, a contract, an oath of fealty and loyalty. These are major, not just a minor promise. Then he proves to be not just treacherous and guilty of betrayal, but he proves to be treasonous. He commits high treason. And number five, when he disputes, he sins, which means simply that Disagreements are a fact of life. Everyone disagrees. Father and son disagree. Mother and daughter disagree. Husband and wife disagree. Blood brothers, blood sisters disagree. Siblings disagree. 
It's human nature to disagree, to have a differing opinion, sometimes to disagree with one another in such a way that it's not just a conflict of opinion, but sometimes of behavior. It happens. But Allah and His Rasul in the Quran and the Hadith and our teachings of Islam have never impractically told us that remove all disagreements. That's impossible. Allah Himself says in the Quran, they will remain differing amongst themselves. But what Islam teaches us, what Allah and His Rasul have taught us, is how to manage our differences. And part of that management is that when you fall into conflict, when you have a disagreement, when you dispute with another person, you confine that disagreement to the remit and the purview and the sphere of your original disagreement. There's no vendetta in Islam. What? You don't push the boundaries of your disagreement. You don't go beyond the limits. You keep it within its limits. That's the character of a mu'min. Once you push the boundaries of your disagreement, once you go beyond the limits of your original disagreement, that is the character and the behavior of a munafiq. So how would one go over the line? For instance, your original disagreement may have been about some money. Now you make it about him, his family, his children, his property, his wealth, that one contract, that one disagreement, and everything else tied in. You don't limit it to just that. This is how conflict erupts. This is how disputes go on forever. This is how there is increased bitterness and recrimination and no forgiveness or understanding, patience or tolerance. This is not the character of a mu'min, this is a character of a munafiq. So anyway, these two hadith, what is the first word Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, first two of three words that he mentions in the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an, the sign of a hypocrite is three things in him. Number one, when he speaks, he lies. Lying is not the character of a mu'min, it's a character of a munafiq. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah testifies that the hypocrites are lie, truly liars. So these are the first two lessons we may derive from this surah, from the first verse. False testimony, shahada, shahada al-zur, and number two, kadib, lying. Moving on, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, اتَّخَذُوا أَيْمَانَهُمْ جُنَّةً فَصَدُّوا عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ They have taken their oaths as a shield. فَصَدُّوا عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Thus they have prevented from the way of Allah. إِنَّهُمْ سَاءَ مَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Indeed, evil is what they do. So, to quickly translate from the beginning, when the hypocrites come to you, they say that indeed we testify that you are surely the messenger of Allah. Allah knows that you are surely his messenger. And Allah testifies that indeed they are surely liars. They have taken their oaths as a shield. Thus they have prevented from the way of Allah. Indeed, evil is what they do.
This is the third characteristic of a munafiq in the surah. Oaths, ayman. Ayman is the plural of yameen. Oaths. As I said at the beginning, a munafiq is never straightforward. He never says what he means, and never means what he says. He doesn't simply speak. No. There's a lot of histrionics and drama. He's very melodramatic. Lots of flair and showmanship and ostentation and acting. That's a character of a munafiq. He won't just say, I'll do this. Wallahi billahi qasamun billahi tallahi I swear by Allah and such and such. Truly. In fact, throughout the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the hypocrites amazingly with one description in verse after verse after verse. You know what that description is? Yahlifuna billah. Sayahlifuna billah. Surah At-Tawbah. Sayahlifuna billahi lakum idhan qalabtum ilayhim litu'ridu anhum fa'aridu anhum. Innahum rids. This is about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam returning from Tabuk. And I've explained this in detail in my commentary from Sahih al-Bukhari of Hadith al-Ka'b uh, ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu. So refer to it. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was returning from Tabuk, the campaign of Tabuk, Allah told him that when you arrive in Medina, all of those backsliders and all of those hypocrites, they will come and make all manner of excuses to you. But they won't just talk and say, we apologize, we are sorry, we couldn't come. No. Allah says, They will soon, they will swear by Allah when you return to them so that you can, so that you ignore them and you turn away from them. Fine. Turn away from them. They are a najasa. They are an impurity. So Allah says, they will swear in the name of Allah. In another verse, They swear by Allah that they are of you. They will swear by Allah to you so that they may please you. This is another characteristic of a munafiq. A munafiq sees everything in the short term, in the immediate term. Instant gratification. What concerns a munafiq is the here and now. Nothing more. A munafiq is very short-sighted. A munafiq doesn't look beyond a few short steps. Instant gratification, immediate reaction, addressing only what matters now, anyhow. So, oh, I have to get this done now. Fine. I will say and do whatever it takes to get this done now, regardless of the consequences, regardless of what comes afterwards. How will I explain myself later? What will happen later? What will people think? Doesn't matter. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. 
And it's very easy. Lie, deceive, do what you want now. When it comes to explaining, lie again. The munafiq will employ all the weaponry and armour in his arsenal on any given occasion to achieve what he or she wants. Lying, treachery, betrayal, dishonesty, false testimony, swearing in the name of Allah. It's all an act. The act is designed to convince you, to pacify you, to reassure you, so that you look away, to conceal. Everything is about concealment. How can I conceal my true nature? So this is why Allah says, when you return to Medina, why will they swear in the name of Allah to you? So that you turn away from them. You ignore them. That's all that matters to them. It's remarkable. The munafiqun, why did they become munafiq in the first place? Why? Like I said, short-term gain. Here was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Their fellow tribesmen from Aws and Khazraj embraced Islam. They thought, what do we do? Not all of them embraced at the very beginning. Many of them embraced after Badr. And there's a reason for that. Until Badr, they were like holding on to their cards. They were holding out to see what happens. And then, before Badr, they were teasing the Muslims, they were mentioning, speaking amongst themselves, all the way until Badr, that these are refugees, these are riffraff, they won't last. When the Quraysh pursue them properly, they will, be, they will perish. Then, after the Battle of Badr, when the Muslims returned victorious to Medina, having vanquished the Quraysh of Mecca, despite their army, despite being one third and outnumbered by three to one in both numbers as well as weaponry and armor and mounts, the, the Munafiqun of Medina, especially Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the leader, he was the one who said, you know what? Muhammad's affair has taken its course, meaning it's now taken its course and is going in the right direction. So we should now follow him. Now, it doesn't mean that before they weren't following him, i.e. they became more fearful and much more serious after, after the Battle of Badr. So, for them, everything was short-term. Subhanallah. Look at this. They were in Medina. They would see Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa They would sit in his company. They would see him, hear him, listen to him. They would watch and observe him. They would travel with him. They would rise and stand and sit with him. They would eat with him. They would share the same table and spread, not table, but spread with him. And yet... They weren't concerned. All that mattered to them was holding on to their wealth and their ways for a short while of this dunya, and in doing so, they were willing to pay the price of the enmity of Allah and His Rasul. 
It was all short-term gain. So this is the character of a munafiq. As a result, when the munafiq, when the hypocrite only sees the current situation, he or she will say whatever it takes to convince you, to pacify you, to reassure you, to conceal their true nature. That means swearing in the name of Allah, so be it. And this is a common trait. So throughout the Qur'an, Allah repeatedly says of the munafiqun, سَيَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ يَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ They will swear to you by Allah. And what does that verse say, in which I just mentioned? يَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ لَكُمْ لِيُرْضُوكُمْ This is what I, what I mean by short-term gain. They will, Allah is specifically referring to the munafiqun, they will swear by Allah to you. Why? لِيُرْضُوكُمْ So that they may please you. That's all they want to do momentarily. They don't really want to please you. They just want you to be pacified, be reassured, so that you turn away and ignore them and leave them to their devices so that you may momentarily be happy. In the words of Allah sublime, Allah says, They swear by Allah to you so that they may please you. And Allah and his messenger are more rightful and deserving that they should please them if they were truly believed. Again, this is not the character of a mu'min. A mu'min does not attempt to please a creation. A mu'min always attempts to please a creator. Allah is more deserving and more rightful of being pleased and of being feared than anyone or anything in his creation. So throughout the Qur'an, one unique feature of the hypocrites is swearing an oath. يَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ سَيَحْلِفُونَ بِاللَّهِ and you know what? One of the themes of this, well, it's not a theme, but one of the things we learn from these few verses, just three few words that we've just covered of Surah Al-Munafiqun, and we learn from other uh, verses of the Qur'an as well, and I've explained this in detail, especially in the tafsir of Surah Al-Layl, that each sin creates momentum for the subsequent sin. And as I've just explained, each lie makes the second lie easier and creates momentum for the second lie. Each sin creates momentum for the subsequent sin until it becomes a person's nature. And we, wallahi, we should fear these words, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu an, that beware of lying, for lying leads to sin, and sin leads to the fire. And a man lies and continues to lie and searches for lying, until he is written as an extreme liar with Allah. Wallahi, we should fear these words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I'll tell you why. Because when this becomes part of a person's nature, they become deluded, truly deluded. This is why Allah says of the hypocrites, the, the, the munafiqun thought of themselves as being so slick and smart that they weren't just deceiving everyone, they thought we are even deceiving Allah. They attempt to deceive Allah. And it is Allah who is keeping them in error and deceit. A person becomes so deluded. And why do I mention this? Because about swearing. Allah says in the verse of the Quran, أَلَمْ تَرَ إِلَى الَّذِينَ تَوَلَّوْا قَوْمًا غَضِبَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ 
ماهم منكم ولا منهم that have you not seen a people have you not seen those who have befriended a people whom Allah has poured forth his scorn and his rage on and then Allah continues that they lie, they swear in the name of Allah with lies knowingly so they know they are lying and they swear in the name of Allah over their lies. Then Allah continues that later on in, in, in that same set of verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yawma yab'athuhum Allahu jami'an fayahlifuna lahu kama yahlifuna lakum wa yahsabuna annahum ala shayt That just as these people, the munafiqun, lie to you in the world, and they swear in the name of Allah and lie to you, Allah says, يَوْمَ يَبْعَثُهُمُ اللَّهُ جَمِيعًا فَيَحْلِفُونَ لَهُ كَمَا يَحْلِفُونَ لَكُمْ On the day that Allah will raise all of them, then what will they do? فَيَحْلِفُونَ لَهُ كَمَا يَحْلِفُونَ لَكُمْ They will swear to Allah just as they swear to you. So it becomes such a part of their nature that when Allah resurrects them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and Allah questions them, they will swear in the name of Allah to Allah whilst lying. So they will actually lie to Allah before Allah and swear in His name whilst lying to Him. And not only that, Allah says, وَيَحْسَبُونَ أَنَّهُمْ عَلَى شَيْءٍ Which means, imagine this conversation. A person faces another and the other person says, did you do this? And this person says, I swear by Allah I didn't do it. So the other person says, okay, I accept. So what does this person think? The person thinks, Whew, I got away with it. He, he, he's such an idiot. He's so clueless. What a fool. The person thinks that. So he, he thinks he is onto something, true? He thinks he's onto something. That he's getting away with it. So Allah says in that verse, يَوْمَ يَبْعَثُهُمُ اللَّهُ جَمِيعًا فَيَحْلِفُونَ لَهُ كَمَا يَحْلِفُونَ لَكُمْ وَيَحْسَبُونَ أَنَّهُمْ عَلَى شَيْءٍ On the day when Allah shall resurrect them and they will swear to him just as they swear to you and they think that they are onto something. So even with Allah on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, they will swear in the name of Allah, lie to Allah and then momentarily think, I've got away with it. He doesn't know. He doesn't have a clue. This is, this is what the munafiqun will think. This is the meaning of They think they are onto something. This is how deluded and delusional a liar becomes. This is why they lie shamelessly. This is why a liar lies shamelessly. One person told me, told me a story once about I've met pathological lies, and I'm sure many of you have met serial, habitual, pathological lies. People with Munchausen syndrome. But that's to some degree innocent, because at least Munchausen, he just created fantasies. But some people lie maliciously. So 
hypochondriacs, hypochondriacs by proxy, people suffering from Munchausen syndrome, people inclined to pathologically lying for no reason, sick lies at times. So one person related a story to me said there was a gathering once, all Muslims, and there was a 40, over 40-year-old 40 person sitting there, and they were all middle-aged senior, and he was lying and lying and lying, Fan fantastic stories about himself and his experiences in the realms of fancy. And he's carrying on and carrying on. So the one person, one brother, he took him to the side and he said to him, by Allah, I implore you, I implore you in the name of Allah. Look, if you cannot help but lie, at least lie reasonably. <laughs> because your stories are fantastical. Everyone's laughing at you from within. And not only that, we are embarrassed. Aren't you embarrassed? We're embarrassed listening to you. Aren't you embarrassed? So the person said, he giggled and he said, look, I can't help it. He giggled and he said, I can't help it. And he was a grown-up man, over 40. He just giggled and said, I can't help it. It's my habit. She so said to him, look, if you are going to lie, at least lie reasonably. Because listening to your lies, we are embarrassed. Aren't you embarrassed? So this is the point I made. Such liars, they feel no shame whatsoever. We are embarrassed listening to their lies. But they, with a flat poker face, they can just persist and continue. So swearing in the name of Allah whilst lying is the pure trait of a munafiq. And it's such... It's so integral to their nature that they will do it before Allah on Yawm Al-Qiyah. And then Allah ends that verse by saying, أَلَا إِنَّهُمْ هُمُ الْكَاذِبُونَ إِسْتَحْوَذَ عَلَيْهُمُ الشَّيْطَانِ فَأَنْسَاهُمْ ذِكْرَ اللَّهِ أُولَٰئِكَ حِزْبُ الشَّيْطَانِ أَلَا إِنَّ حِزْبَ الشَّيْطَانِ هُمُ الْخَاسِرُونَ That the devil has overwhelmed them and caused them to forget the remembrance of Allah. This is the party of shaytan. And lo, it is a party of shaitan who are the losers. So Hizbul shaitan in the Qur'an actually refers to the munafiqun. Hizbul shaitan the party of the devil in the Qur'an, refers to the hypocrites, the munafiqun. So this is one of their... They're always swearing in the name of Allah. They can't just say, oh, this is what happened. They have to swear in the name of Allah. False oaths, false testimonies. And what happens with false testimonies? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Why do they swear so falsely in the name of Allah? Again, short-term gain. It's all about short-term gain. They don't see anything but a few feet before them. Nothing else. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, They have taken their oaths as shields. Shields for what? Shields to protect themselves, their wealth, and their property. That's all that concerns. And that's why in that same set of verses which I just mentioned, Allah says, That's
They have taken their oaths as a shield, and thus they have prevented from the way of Allah. For them is a humiliating punishment. Their wealth and their children will not protect them from Allah, will not avail them of anything. And a shield for what? Just self-preservation to protect their wealth and their property and their meager gains. And this is exactly what the Munafiqun did in al madinah Al-Munawwara with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Why does Allah say, فَصَدُّوا عَنْ سَبِيلِ They thus prevented from the way of Allah. Same theme. One sin leads to another sin. We should be very fearful of this. Because when a person sins, each sin leads to a subsequent sin. False promises and false oaths lead a person away from the path of Allah. And thus, فَصَدُّوا عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ They prevented from the way of Allah. Doesn't refer to others or just them, it refers to both. So they have led themselves away from the path path of Allah and they've led others away from the path of Allah. This is why in another verse of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَتَّخِذُوا أَيْمَانَكُمْ دَخَلًا بَيْنَكُمْ فَتَزِلَّ قَدَمٌ بَعْدَ ثُبُوتِهَا وَتَذُوقُ السُّوءَ بِمَا صَدَّتُمْ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَلَكُمْ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ وَلَا تَشْتَرُوا بِعَهْدِ اللَّهِ ثَمَنًا قَلِيلًا إِنَّمَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ هُوَ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ مَا عِنْدَكُمْ يَنْفَذَ وَمَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ بَاقٍ وَلَنَجْزِيَنَّ الَّذِينَ صَبَرُوا أَجْرَهُمْ بِأَحْسَنِ مَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ Allah says, addressing the believers, do not take your oaths as deception between yourselves. Dakhalam means entryism, i.e. do not take your oaths as a means to making your way amongst each other. Do not make your oaths a treachery amongst yourselves. Why? What's the punishment that Allah mentions? Allah doesn't just mention the punishment of the Akhirah. That's at the end of the verse. وَلَكُمْ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ For you is a great and immense punishment. No. Prior to that, Allah says, do not take your oaths as a means of treachery and betrayal and deception amongst yourselves. Lest, and this is a punishment in the dunya, فَتَزِلَّ قَدَمٌ بَعْدَ ثُبُوتِهَا Lest a foot slips after its steadfastness. Which means that previously, even if you were steadfast upon your religion, your lying and your false oath will cause you to slip in religion even though hitherto you were actually quite steadfast. This is a meaning of فَصَدُّ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ By swearing false oaths, by lying, a person causes oneself to slip from the path of Allah. And then not to slip oneself, but to prevent others. And that's where the verse continues. Lest a foot slips after its steadfastness. And lest you then taste the punishment because you have prevented from the way of Allah, meaning prevented others. Because when others, non-Muslims, see a believer Lying, breaking their pledges, swearing false oaths, 
the unbeliever, the non-Muslim will think, is this Islam? Is this the Muslim? Is this what his religion teaches him? I have no interest in this religion. So we would have been guilty of being the impediment and obstruction to others coming to the way of Allah because of our lying and our falsehoods. And that's not the character of a mu'min, it's a character of a munafiq. And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here. They have taken their oaths as a shield. And thus they prevented others from the way of Allah. Indeed, evil is what they do. Then the verse says, this is the last verse for today. This is because Allah still refers to the hypocrites. This is because they believed, I openly, supposedly. Then they disbelieved, meaning they persisted in their disbelief. Because most, many of them didn't believe at all. Some of them actually did believe, but they were plagued by doubt. So what would they do? They'd believe, disbelieve, believe, disbelieve. But here, Allah speaks, uh, but many of them, they never ever believed. Their claim to believe in Rasulullah was false. So they said, we believe in you. But at heart, they remained disbelievers. So they persisted in their disbelief. This is meaning, this is because they believed, apparently. Then they disbelieved, I persisted in their disbelief. So what happened? So it's, well, there was a seal put on their hearts. How? Same theme. Cumulative effect. Doesn't the Prophet ﷺ say in the hadith that when a person sins, there's a dot on the heart. When a person sins again, there's another dot. And these dots accumulate until they cover the heart with a layer, just like the layer of rust over metal. And this is what Allah refers to in the Quran. Nay, this is what accumulated as rust over their hearts because of what they used to do. So, we, again, we should be very careful. We shouldn't think a lie is innocent, a false promise is innocent. Each of these adds momentum to the subsequent one, makes the subsequent one easier, and they have a cumulative effect. And over time, a person's heart becomes sealed. So one can only go in one direction. And we do that of ourselves. That's why Allah says in that verse that, Allah says, and there were those of them, they sincerely actually, uh, well, there were those of them who, and there are of them those who pledge to Allah, that if Allah gives us of his bounty, i.e. of wealth, we will surely give in charity and we will surely be good 
of the good and pious people. So when Allah did give them of his bounty, what did they do? They were stingy thereof, miserly with the gift and bounty of Allah. And they turned away from Allah and their promise whilst being neglectful and heedless. So what did Allah do in punishment? All they did is make a false promise to Allah. All they did is break their pledge to Allah. All they did was lie. So what did Allah do? Even before Akhirah, Allah gave them hypocrisy in the wake of their deeds. Because they broke the promise they made to Allah because of their lying. So their lying and their Breaking their pledge is what actually created nifaq and hypocrisy in their hearts, which remained and persisted till Yawmul Qiyamah. So this is, we create this rust and this hypocrisy and this iniquity and corruption in the heart through our own deeds. So this is the meaning of فَطُبِعَ ala قُلُوبِهِمْ a seal was placed on their hearts. فَهُمْ لَا يَفْقَهُونَ So they do not understand, which means that's what happens. At the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he would recite the Quran to them. Can you imagine Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam reciting Quran to the congregation from his noble member, from his place of salah in Masjidun Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam? And those words not penetrating the hearts in the masjid. But that's what happened. Fahum la yafqahum. Because they couldn't understand that layer, that veil was so thick over their hearts that even the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam could not penetrate them. This is why, subhanAllah, it's remarkable. One of the observations is that People often say to me, look, can you speak to him and advise him in the name of Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam or in the name of religion? The observation is this, that many people, their hearts and minds are already open. They are humble. Their hearts and minds are open. So you don't need to say much to them. They, you don't have to say much at all. They understand. When words reach them, they accept. So the observation is, almost always we are preaching to the converted. Those who come and who listen are the ones who want to learn whose hearts and minds are open. And they invite the words of Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam into their hearts and minds. Others, I don't mean those who don't attend, I just mean in general, some people are such that no matter what you say to them, later in the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ تَعَالَى يَسْتَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ لَوَّوْ رُؤُوسَهُمْ when it is said to them, Come, Allah's Messenger will do istighfar for you and seek Allah's forgiveness on your behalf. 
They turn their heads. And you see them preventing and blocking. Whilst being arrogant. Imam Sufyan, when he was relating this, he actually said to his students who asked him about this verse, So Imam Sufyan did this. He quite vigorously swung his head to one side and stared with beady eyes. And he said, this is what they used to do. So when it was suggested to the munafiqun, look, very humbly, come, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will do istighfar for you. They would actually do this. We don't want his istighfar. And in another verse, so arrogance is not the character of a mu'min, it's the character of a munafiq, as Allah describes. They turn away and they block وَهُمْ مُسْتَكْبِرُونَ whilst being arrogant. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in another verse, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُ اتَّقِ اللَّهِ وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُ اتَّقِ اللَّهِ أَخْذَتُ الْعِزَّةُ بِالْإِثْمِ فَحَسْبُهُ جَهَنَّمْ وَلَبِئْسَ الْمِهَادِ Allah says, when it is said to him, this individual, ittaqillah, fear Allah, be wary of Allah, what does he do? A normal person, one whose heart and mind are open, what do they do? When someone says, fear Allah, it makes them think. They feel embarrassed, ashamed. That's a good person, a normal person. So, when someone says to them, look, fear Allah, it makes them think. But others, when it is said to him, fear Allah, what happens? Arrogance seizes him in sin. Arrogance seizes him in sin. So when you tell someone, fear Allah, because of, the, because of that veil, on their minds and on their hearts. Their reaction isn't of fearing Allah. What? What are you saying to me? I should fear Allah. So it only provokes them into a worse reaction. It only compounds a problem. It only makes things worse. So Allah says, when it is said to him, fear Allah, instead of making him humble, his reaction is one of arrogance. Arrogance seizes him in sin, so he sins further. Good example is Imam Bukhari and others will relate that once there were two men, they argued amongst themselves so much so that they swore at each other. So one of them was very angry. So the Prophet said, I know something, I know a word which if he was to say that word, all of this anger would disappear. So that, those words were, A'udhu billahi min Prophet was looking. So the Sahabi went to him and said. Now it's obvious that he was coming from Rasulullah because he was within viewing distance. He was observing everything. So there is one word. If you were to utter that word, all of your anger would dissipate. Which is, I seek refuge in Allah from the accursed devil, shaitan. So the man said, do you think I'm mad? Do you think I'm mad? 
And in one narration, do you think there's a shaitan with me? Do you think I'm mad? So the ulama say, we don't know who it is, but most likely this was because only we have been a munafiq who rejected the advice of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and reacted in a worse manner. That's the perfect definition of when it is said to him, fear Allah, akhdatul izzatu Arrogance seizes him in sin. So as I was saying, the, the, the observation is this, that those on whose hearts and minds there isn't a layer of rust, they are already open to the words of Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It doesn't take much to advise them. But others, well, what can you say? There's only a limit to which you can go. So, you, you take the name of Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and their reaction is worse. They say we, we are believers, we believe in Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But their reaction is something different altogether. And one of the reasons is, فَهُمْ لَا يَفْقَهُونَ Because they do not understand, nothing penetrates. If Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's words of advice as a living person in their midst, while speaking to them, could not penetrate their hearts, then how can we expect our mere conveying his words now being able to penetrate the hearts of those who's, who, who have layer upon layer through their own deeds? So this is the meaning of There is a, a seal has been placed on their hearts so they do not understand. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand. May Allah protect us from the characteristics and the traits of hypocrisy. May Allah make us amongst the true mu'minun who follow in the footsteps of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulihi nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.